Hi, my name is Reese Wells. My pronouns are he, him, his, and this is the Counseling Connection Podcast. Okay, no housekeeping today. Our podcast topic is discussing the LGBTQ plus community and how as counselors we can better work to meet their needs in our sessions. I'd like to introduce Crystal Jarvis, LCMHC, LCAS, and CCTP. She graduated from Liberty University with her master's in professional counseling after spending several years as a licensed teacher. She's been working with the LGBTQ plus community for about seven years. During that time, she has worked to better understand the needs of the community. I'm really grateful to have gotten a chance to interview Crystal on the subject. You'll find that there are a couple of moments where I pause and stumble over myself looking for the right words, and I've chosen to leave these moments in. I wanted to capture an honest look at how I navigate these conversations, which can feel delicate at times. I'm grateful to Crystal for her patience and guidance during this interview. If you're interested, you can find articles and additional information about this subject from my website at reesewells.com. And now, Crystal Jarvis. Okay, y'all. I've got Crystal Jarvis here, and she has uh, been working in the LGBTQ plus community for about seven years. Um, and during that time, she's worked to better understand the needs of her community. Crystal, I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I kind of introduced you already with the bio that you sent me. I'm curious, what else would you like folks who are listening in to, to know about you? Well, you know, I've been a teacher and um, I've been working, like you said, with the LGBTQ community. I also enjoy working with uh, trauma and substance abuse and sex therapy. Um those are all some things I've kind of really looked into and enjoyed doing. Um, I see a huge need for those areas in what I do. There seems to be a gap in kind of sex therapy, working with the LGBTQ community, and um, I enjoy it. Um, get some funny looks when you tell people that, which is always kind of enjoyable for me <laughs> to just tell people, I like to work sex therapy. Um but it's really been a really fun journey getting to where I am now, getting to know more about it, and um, being able to help people that might not be able to find help in other places. Yeah, that's really powerful, and thanks for your work. And I'm really excited today because this is a topic that I'm not super familiar with, and so you're the expert here, and I'm excited for you to take us on a journey of talking about sex in terms of the clinical um, environment and what that can look like in terms of working specifically with LGBTQ plus communities and just any client in general. Yeah, it's it's very important work and you have to be comfortable with who you are, um, understanding your identity, your sexual needs. Um, you can't be uncomfortable with the subject or, at all or you're going to make your client uncomfortable and they're not going to feel able to open up to you and speak freely about it. So, Yeah, well, I'm excited to unpack this with you, Crystal. And I guess, you know, as we're um, getting started, I'm curious, and this is a question I like to ask all the people I have on the podcast, what drew you to the field of mental health counseling? Well, as I stated earlier, I was a teacher, I like to say in a former life, because um, it feels that long ago, and a lot of my students were struggling, and 
I didn't feel like they were getting the help they needed. And that's how it kind of began. And then I suffered a quite a tremendous loss um, in my own personal life and wasn't able to get the personal help that I needed. And it drove me to thinking, like, do people do this a lot? Do they have loss and can't get help, don't know where to find help, don't have the resources that they need? And it makes it worse for them. And I found that out just because I had to walk that kind of very difficultly just with my natural supports, you know, my spouse, my family, trying to help me through that and not finding professionals that I needed. And I kind of decided then that if I could help one person who needed help, they couldn't find it anywhere else. I, I wanted to be that person. And it started to change my trajectory in life and set me on a journey to want to help people in a different way than being a teacher. So. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. And, you know, what I'm struck by, you know, you're saying that I wanted to help people who struggle to find help and knowing that there's a real need for clinicians who focus in these LGBTQ plus communities makes a lot of sense that you were drawn to that population. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even in school, you know, they had sex therapy classes, but there was nothing LGBTQ plus specific. Um, so a lot of what I did was with cultural competency classes, you know, digging into that population and kind of going from there when I had an opportunity to write a paper on a specific population, I would dig into it there, you know. Um, and so a lot of it was just having to self-teach and reach out myself on my own when I could because when I was at grad school, there was nothing specific for the population, um, which just shows how much need there is for the therapeutic world to know more and to understand how to better help them. Yeah. Well, thanks Thanks for the work that you do. It's really important. And um, it ties in perfectly to our topic for today, which is on sexual identities and how clinicians can support their clients in their sexual expression. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to just create an operational definition of sexual identity and sexual expression. How would you define these two terms? Well, sexual identity, I would say, is how a person views themselves sexually in terms of who they are romantically or sexually attracted to. Um, you, you know, if I am attracted to same-sex identities, then I would identify myself as gay or lesbian. If I'm attracted to opposite, uh, opposite sex, I'd identify myself as straight. Um, that identity is really important. Um, how they express that can be really important. Their sexual expression can go into, um, you know, if they express that with the person on a sexual level. Some people are, um, they don't have sexual desires. They're not really sexual creatures by design and they wouldn't have that sexual expression other than um, maybe some very, very light physical hand-holding, kissing, but it wouldn't go into deep 
actual sexual contact. Um, those are all ways that people express themselves. And it's, it's a very important part of us. And every one of us has a sexual identity. It's, I see it as the core of who we are um, because we develop into that without really trying. Um, while everyone else is trying to find themselves, you know, or we're trying to find who we are on a level of what we like, where we fit, what we want to do in life, our sexual expression and sexual identity just develops. Um, so it's literally the core part of who we are and our being, and everyone has that. And so there's no separating out us from our sexual identity, um, which is very important to note. Um, as we get further into the conversation, I'm sure, um, and talk about why it's important when we work with our clients. Yeah, and so, you know, in terms of, I guess, conceptualizing sexual identities and sexual expression, I'm curious, and, and I think, I, I know part of the answer, but I think it's good to still ask the question of, like, why is this topic so relevant today? Well, we've gotten to a point where societally it's become open. You know, we're not where we were 60 years ago, thank goodness, right, um, where it was against the law and illegal and people were having to hide it. But at the same time, there's there's still not the acceptance um, and the understanding where we need it to be. And because of that, when we know that there have been studies that show that if there's not acceptance, if people aren't supported, then it can increase depression, anxiety, and suicidality among the LGBTQ plus community, especially in youth. Um, and so I think it is very, very important to continue providing discussion and education on a local level, personal level, international level, um, so that people will better understand how their interactions with this community can actually increase or decrease mental health associated with it. We want them to know that we're looking at the health and well-being and safety of individuals. Um, and this is very powerful. It can be very powerful. Um, when we're talking on a one-on-one -on -one level with a client in our office, we may need to be the ones to reach out and educate parents on what this is. You, you know, discuss with them, what does this mean to you as our client? Why is this so important? How do you see yourself? And be able to educate the families around them about what it means to them because they may not be able to put it in words. We may need to educate our schools on how this can affect the people around them, and definitely advocacy, I see as a huge part of our job as counselors in the field today, especially when it comes to this community and this topic. So, yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a really relevant topic right now. It's also super important to provide this sort of access to clients who are seeking these services, and advocacy is a huge piece of that. And what you're describing, Crystal, as you're speaking is just remind me, it's like it's not only the individual uh, counselor-client relationship, but it's also the need for more systemic change and more of a um, systemic conversation around this, you know, 
this consideration of how do we best provide services for um, LGBTQ plus communities seeking to learn more about their sexual identities and their sexual expressions. And mm -hmm. as a clinician who's been working in the field in, in this like specific focus for the last seven plus years, what, is, what have you noticed from your time as a clinician? Well, it's really interesting because there, there are a couple of things that I've noticed that I don't want to say have been done wrong, but there are some things that when people come in who are a part of this community, um, they're not looking for, such as if I have, <clears throat> excuse me, if I have a client come in who is a transgender male and they're suffering anxiety, they want me to find out why they're suffering anxiety, just like every other client, right? They may not come in because of things going on with them because they're a transgender male. They want me to know what the problem is, and they want to work to solve the problem, just like every other client. Um, however, one of the things that I've found that's been happening is clinicians can tend to focus on the LGBTQ as being the problem as opposed to the actual problem being the problem, if, if that makes sense. Um, so we need to make sure that when someone comes into our office who is a part of this community, we know what's going on in their world. We, we know what their barriers are. We know what they want to overcome. And that's what we're working to problem solve with them. Um, it could be something associated with the community. It could be that they're struggling with whether or not to come out. Um, it could be they're struggling with um, whether to take the next, next step in their transgender journey. It could be that they're just evolving in their sexual identity and doesn't know what that means for them. If that's the case, we walk with them through that. But we need to make sure that why they've come into our office is the reason that we are working with them, not something that we assume. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, as most basic level, this is meeting the client where they're where they're at and working on the, the treatment plan that they set the agenda for. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you kind of started to answer this through your, your previous answer, but it's making me think about, like, so knowing, knowing this, like, how can counselors best support their clients with these conversations around, you know, sexual identity, sexual expression, plus all the other presenting problems that they may be coming in with? Well, first of all, we want to make sure that if there is struggles around sexual expression or sexual identities, we want to make sure that the client is being supported because they may not have a support group. And like I said earlier, without a support group, you're increasing mental health issues. Right? You're increasing anxiety, depression, suicidality. So if that is an issue, we want to make sure that we're connecting them with supports somewhere so that they're decreasing the mental health symptomology, you know, right off the bat, just by linking up with someone or other people, support groups, um, 
even just being able to talk with us on a supportive level, and that in and of itself will decrease the other symptoms. Um, and I think the other is just making sure that they're leading the conversation. We don't know if they've been in other situations where people have tried to make them do things. Um, the coming out process has been something in the past that um, the LGBTQ community has been forced to do. Um, they've been pushed to do it. Like, if you don't do it, then you're not proud or um, you're hiding and that's not okay. Um, that's something that's very important within this community. They need to feel safe, um, and it needs to be done on their time. Um, things like that can be very important with working with them, and we can support them in that. We can help them know that it's not, you know, a one-time thing. We can help them understand who is supportive enough for them to come out to. Um, and we can also help them understand what may be going on with mental health um, symptoms that may be associated with their sexual identities. Um, I've found that people who come out of very religious homes can tend to have a stress about not being able to continue living their beliefs and living their sexual identity. They don't know how to do it. And that's even something to consider of how can we find congruence between your belief system and your sexual identity. And that's something important to consider as well, because our beliefs are a huge part of who we are too. So, um, it, it can be um, kind of like a, a tightrope. You know, you're walking, you don't want to lean too far one way and tell somebody that they have to do this because it's not our job to tell somebody what to do. But at the same time, if they've been really trying to do it on their own and they don't know and they come to you and you're like, just figure it out, then you're not being helpful at all. So we've got to walk that tightrope of trying to walk with them and trying to help them find their own answers without pushing them into something that's uncomfortable for them. It's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And you know what what I'm hearing, I mean, this is this is how we're trained as clinicians, right? So walk the tightrope to, you know, let the client set their own pace and uh, walk the path with them almost as a guide without pushing them one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Something that I've just been thinking about as you've been speaking, Crystal, is how um, I, ma- I imagine this can be challenging to do with the added complexity um, around just what our societal conceptions of LGBTQ plus communities. I, I want to almost like rephrase that. I'm, I'm struggling to think, and, and I'll edit this this part out so it's more cohesive, but I'm, I'm just wondering what makes this so much more complicated, working with LGBTQ plus communities, because everything that you're sharing reminds me a lot of how I was trained in graduate school to be a, a counselor. Well, what you're working with is you're working with someone who's outside of what's considered the normal societal heterosexual, 
you know, what is considered, quote, right. You know, um, you get a lot of ideas of, well, of course they are having problems with, you know, of course they're having problems with anxiety or depression because they're not living up to the society's normal heterosexual standards. Um, It's that same thing that we get with um, people outside of racial norms. Um, Anything outside of the heteronormative, you know, racial standards is going to have kind of those prejudices put against them. And the sad thing is it's not just one or two people. It's really a societal norm to do that. The problem is if you have, if you're outside of the racial norm, right, if if, if you live there, then you still have your community to support you as a whole. If you're Hispanic, you still have your Hispanic community. If you're African-American, you have your African-American community, and it's huge. But the thing is the LGBTQ community doesn't live within its own community, right? They have to go outside and find supports because you're not talking about someone who is born into their own community. Like when I'm born into my community, I'm born into my own ethnic community. I'm born into my own racial community. I'm typically born within some type of spiritual or religious community that I'm going to be raised in. You know, I may choose later whether or not to continue, but we're born into these little communities. Um, the LGBTQ community isn't born into that community. It's something that they find later as their development continues. And so they have to find supports after that. And they may not be able to, depending on where they are, how small of a community they live in, um, what part of the country they're in, how many people they're around. Um, and that's going to be really hard for them. So we're looking at someone who doesn't have a natural community support, and they have to look for it, and that makes it a lot tougher. Um, They can times not know where to go to find someone like them. And it's not like you're just going to walk up to people on the street and be like, hey, are you gay? Are you bi? You know, are you transgender? Do you want to talk? <laughs> you know, um, which are things that I, I think a lot of other minority groups have the opportunity for, um, whereas this one doesn't. And and so it offers that little extra um, wall that's hard to break through. Um, It's getting better today, but it's still not safe for them. Um, 
I mean, the highest rate of violence is against black transgender women. Um, we've had several deaths in our state this year already um, against black transgender women. And so we're also looking at violence. And I know that there's violence across the board with other people too. And that's our importance of, I feel like the advocacy built into this community is higher um, because there's just not a lot out there yet. And that's because the rights for this community didn't start developing until later than the rights of other communities. Um, so we're looking at later development of rights. We're looking at later development of advocacy. And so they're still in a process that we need to help them with. They're still in places that, you know, it's not widely understood um, what they're going through. And like I said, there's just not a lot of education on the treatment of this community. Um, I had to seek out myself. I had to sit down and talk with people. What are your thoughts? What are you going through? What are some things that you haven't enjoyed in therapy? What are some things therapists have done that you didn't like? And I didn't have to do that with other populations. It was provided for me in grad school. So I feel that's a lot different for this community in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was, thank you for articulating that. That was what I was attempting to articulate with my previous question. And I appreciate you clarifying that this is a community that suffered a lot of collective trauma. And so with that, Crystal, I guess I'm, wondering about some of these multicultural considerations when you're navigating these conversations with your clients? Well, what I like to do is I like to consider, because we are looking at lots of different cultures associated with them, and so they may have had lots of different microaggressions, right? Um, not just because of LGBTQ+, but because of all different things. Um, and, and so we like to consider all the different um, cultures that have made an impact on their life and how. Um, we may see some that are very proud of their culture despite microaggressions. Um, and we want to play that strength into um, the LGBTQ. Anywhere we can grab strength from, as counselors, we know we do it, right? If there is an area of strength we want to roll it over as much as we can because we understand that it's there and the resilience is in this person. And so even if we can take um, pride from other areas and be like, see this pride that you have, you can use it here um, because it's still a part of who you are. So we want to not only use the – the microaggressions, knowledge to um, do trauma work as a whole, but we also want to search for pride in their different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities um, to roll over as well and show them that who they are in total as a person is unique and it's special and it doesn't have to be defined by society and it doesn't have to be 
anyone else. And so if we can take, okay, well, I understand that you're um, a Middle Eastern Muslim lesbian, and that's really dangerous on so many fronts, especially, you know, in, in our culture here. But what does that mean for you? Like, what are you proud of? Now, what are you fearful of? And if we can find out where the fear lies, what area does it lie in? Where does the pride lie? And we can work to kind of integrate safety features because sometimes that fear is totally legitimate. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we implement safety features and we want to make sure that the pride is, is grounded and rooted and give them permission to completely envelop their culture and what they love about who they are and where they've come from um, instead of trying to, like so many I feel, just, um, just let it melt away into a culture they feel like is appropriate for our society. I feel like that makes them much, much stronger. So I just encourage all of those little pieces that make them who they are, that they love and want to embrace, um, but are afraid to because it makes them different. If we can have them really cling to that and be proud of it, it makes a stronger person. So they giving sometimes all they need is permission from somebody. Um, just that little bit of it's okay. Absolutely, you can be proud of that. And I really try to do that with my clients. Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. And I guess with that in mind, I'm curious, what would you recommend for those who want to learn more about, you know, sexual expression, sexual identities, um, maybe for some counselors listening in and also for potential clients who are listening in as well? Um, the best thing and the way I learned, and it was, Amazing. Um, if you can find support groups um, and ask to sit, ask to talk to them, ask to go. Um, they're very open. Um, I attended several transgender support groups. The people were amazing. That's how I got on my journey. And as long as you're respectful and you genuinely want to know they answer some crazy questions because I asked them. I asked some questions that I, because I, I didn't know. I had no clue in the beginning. And they were such an amazing group of people. And, you know, sit down with them. Take them out for coffee. Find out. Um, Joe Court has been an amazing professional resource for me. Um, he does do sex therapy and he works with the LGBTQ plus community. He has a book called um, clinical treatment for LGBTQ. Um, the book's great. I have it. Um, he also does um, classes. I've been to a couple of his classes. He's a really great professional resource. Um, there's things for families like PFLAG, I'm sure most people have heard of, um, that's good. 
if you're looking for advocacy information, um, the Center for the Study of Social Policy has advocacy information specifically for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and if you want to know just more in general about the definitions, things like that, if you look at the LGBTQ spectrum of Findlay, that's F-I-N-D-L-A-Y, um, they've got so much information. They've got all the definitions, um, all the verbiage, which is constantly changing. Um, you've really got to stay on top of it. I'm always looking, reading, listening, <laughs> new journal entries, new articles, staying up to date. Um, because the verbiage is changing constantly. There's always new pronouns. And sometimes, especially with youth, they come up with terms that they would just rather be called. And we have to go with that because that's how they identify. So those are just some things that you can look at. And if you're dealing with youth, um, the Trevor Project is always one of my go-tos if I'm dealing with LGBTQ youth. So those are just some really great ways to find information, um, some really great resources. Um, but most of all, just I would encourage you just get to know people because a lot of times I think we see this community as a whole and there is no consistency across the whole population. Me and you can have the same background. We can look the same. We can sound the same. We could have been raised in a home that was very similar, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be the same person today. Um, and I think that's going to be very important is to get to know people, um, learn who they are, learn their thoughts, um, learn how they felt, learn about their supports, learn how it affected them, and you're going to really see how this community as a whole um, has kind of suffered injustice and what they're looking for now if, if you meet with them one-on-one -on -one and learn names and see faces. So, Awesome. Thanks, Crystal. And for those listening, if you want to you know, check out any of the links that Crystal mentioned. I'll put them up on my website um, with the associated podcast, and so you'll be able to check those out. Crystal, I'm curious, do you have any parting thoughts on this subject? Um, I just think that if you can get involved with someone, find someone to talk to, start learning more about the LGBTQ plus community, for me it was, an eye-opener, it was a life-changer, and I would never go back to not knowing, um, and it has put just such a push in me to help more um, and to understand more and to see our society change um, so that we care more about each other and that we show each other love and grace and mercy and um, that we don't 
have to struggle against each other because we're all here together and we just want to live our lives as who we are. So that's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. We're going to move into uh, the rapid fire questions to just round off our call together. Uh Um, And so you don't have, yeah, you don't have a list of these prepared beforehand. So um, just off the top of your head, Crystal, you ready? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Awesome. So I'm curious, and I'm sure everybody listening in is as well, what has your latest Netflix binge been? Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah? Cool. (laughs) Right on. Did they just come out with a new season? It was a life, a year in the life. And so it was like four hour and a half, like winter, spring, summer, fall, when they, like 10 years later, when Rory's like 32. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Next, next question. Uh, last book read for pleasure. The Relic by Preston and Child. Mm, nice. I'll have to check it out. Um, most played band of 2021 so far? Most played band of 2021. I, I don't know. Um, I listen to old music. Um, <laughs> pink? Probably pink. Nice. Cool. Okay, so you're stranded on an island and you can only bring one book. Which book do you bring? Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Hmm. Nice. All right. Um, are you Marvel or DC? Marvel. Okay. Favorite superhero in the Marvel universe? Captain Marvel. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> She's <awful>. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I didn't watch any of the Marvel movies for years, and then I went to go see Endgame, and um, all of a sudden this – you know, person just flew through a spaceship and exploded. And I leaned over my friend. And I was like, "Who is that?" <laughs> it's Captain Marvel. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, okay, so what what has been you know winding back the clocks a little bit? What was your most meaningful graduate course? Group therapy. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was very powerful. Um, I met my best friend in group therapy. We work together now. Um, And just feeling, it was a lot of therapy for me in group therapy, just the class in and of itself. Yeah, cool. Okay, and this is last question. It's the one I like to ask everybody. Um, What do you think is one thing worth remembering? That every event in our life makes us who we are today. So don't want to change it. Yeah. That's really powerful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for your time, Crystal. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. This is the Counseling Connection Podcast. For additional information about meeting the needs of the LGBTQ community, including articles and additional reading, 
As well as information about Crystal Jarvis, you may visit reesewells.com. Copyright by Reese Wells, music by Alan Lawrence, artwork by Brady Lawrence.